Welcome to the world of Rex. It is Marvel Rex here, your favorite renaissance creature of the deep. Gender terrorist and also dreamer, visionary, lover. I am experimenting. This is an experiment. Life is an experiment. And we are going to be looking at the week of August 22nd to August 28th. We are headed towards New Horizons, folks. There is a big tone shift happening, and I am grateful because, wow, that was a hot summer for the Northern Hemisphere. I want to say before we jump into the energies of the week, this is a special episode. Apex Photo Studio in downtown Los Angeles. Shout out to them at Apex Photo Studio on the grams. They sponsored this episode. What? That's amazing. They brought me and Antonia Crane, my guest this week, into the studios. They recorded us video, audio. They gave us water, hair, and makeup. I mean, you know how to do it with a dude, okay? I, If I get some water, hair, and makeup, I'm good. I just need that man grooming, you know? Antony and I spoke for a while, and it was beautiful. We had a really sexy, juicy, and smart conversation. So stay tuned for that. It's so good. I am honored to be in her presence and to learn from her. She questions uh, the psychic affect of astrology. I think that's so good. Looking at astrology through a feminist perspective, brilliant. So stay tuned for that. You can find out more about Antony and I in the link in the show notes. There's all sorts of juicy stuff there. Check it out. We, this week, August 22nd, Monday, mm, is a tone shift. Big things are changing. The sun leaves Leo. Mars has entered Gemini. Okay, summer is ending in the Northern Hemisphere. Virgo season welcomes us to critique, organize, tend to, heal, forgive, and serve. Those are big Virgo themes right now. Mars and Gemini is asking us to experiment, to not be so stubborn, to let go of some of the things that we are holding on to for dear life, because this is the firmament, as I said a couple weeks ago, is shaking beneath our feet. Our foundations are being pressure tested to see if they are really for our long-term benefit. It's a really good idea right now to take the big things in your life, your relationships, your career passions, your the things you do on a daily basis, and just take some time. Virgo is a great energy to take time to like audit. Virgo is one of the best auditors in the whole gosh darn zodiac. Okay. Virgo and Capricorn are awesome at seeing the details and really going in. I dated, this is so funny. I dated a double Capricorn and her, I think her Venus was in Virgo. Yes. Venus is Virgo. Not a great placement for Venus, but what it does is that you know, her ability to create just like the most beautifully organized to-do lists and like informational packets. Wow. Brilliant. So that's the energy. Take time this week to look through the big things in your life and be like, are, okay, have they been tested? If the answer is yes, which a lot of, for most of us, it will be a yes. Is it in your long-term good? Do you feel like you still want to do this? Are you like, yes, okay, the foundation's shaking, but I can like help rebuild to the bottom of it. Or is this out of alignment with my heart? Do I need to like leave the structure? Now, you don't need to get too in your head about it, which is the shadow side of Virgo. Virgo gets really way too lost, devil in the details, like nah, you know, wormholes, wormholes. So you want to back away from over-obsessing, but you want to take some detailed stock to be like, is this worth pursuing? October will make it very, very clear. So even if you don't have answers right now, or even if you do get lost in a wormhole and you're like, I'm I'm actually not really sure, 
especially with Mars and Gemini. Mars and Gemini is like, are we sure? I don't know. Let's try all of it all at once. So this energy is a little bit just kind of testing the waters. It will be very clear by the end of our second eclipse cycle, which is actually really, I'm giving myself December 1st to December 15th to really have a good understanding of what happened during eclipse season, which will run from October 10th to all of November. This is like experimentation and audit mode. That's what Gemini and Virgo are great for. Gemini is great for experimentation, trying a few things, learning new things. Oh, this is a great time to learn a new skill, a great time to write. If you're a writer, a great time to speak, public speak, communicate, text, DM, email, Mars and Gemini, great. You're going to probably feel a desire to do that. Mars is desire. Gemini is any form of social media and any form of communication slash technology. So there's going to be a big emphasis on those things. Talking, talking, talking. That's what Gemini does best. And Virgo is going to be like, is this serving you? Are you serving yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you doing service for the larger humanity? What do you do on a daily basis? Is it healthy? There's a huge emphasis on health with Virgo. On that note, just keep an eye on all the health things during Virgo season. I always tell people, like, if health things crop up, just look at them square in the face. Okay, so we just came out of a period of time from July 28th to August 11th that was particularly intense. It was sort of an eclipse activation point, which is not an eclipse, right? Eclipses are when there's this big karmic change points. They happen twice a year. This last one was April 30th to May 15th. We're going to have another one right around, like the intensity of it's going to be felt right around Halloween, but starts about mid-October, goes till the end of November. This midpoint, though, was July 28th to August 11th. And that was a lunar cycle, new moon in Leo, full moon in Aquarius. <laughs> I'm recording on the full moon in Aquarius as we speak, and I'm just feeling it so hard. This was such an intense intermission. It really wasn't a break. Like I said in my previous episodes, you thought you were going to chill and eat your snacks during the intermission. Oh, but no. Shit went down. Drama went down. It's Leo season, baby. Drama went down. So your foundations were tested in some area of your life, and it's now time to look at, okay, Am I willing to further commit to that and work at it and, and rebuild it because the foundation was severely tested? Am I willing to do that? If it's a yes, you move forward. If you're not sure, you will certainly know by October, right? This is the beauty of this kind of work. I, it's like sometimes clients are like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, hey, let me give you a timeline. You will know by this time. You will know for sure. You will know. So you will know by end of November. If you are confused, if you're feeling confused about the foundations of your life, where to head in certain directions or relationships or jobs, all of these things will be a lot more clear by the end of November. Um, but developing consciousness now over those things is like, that's what this season is good for. And that's what this tone shift is about. The energy lightens up immensely so that you can take some time. You can take some time to be like, okay, a bunch of things happened. Here's all the things that happened between July 28th and August 11th. It's helpful to write them down, even. That's a good piece of homework. Virgo loves a good list. As all the Virgos know, they love a good list. So list all the things that happened. List the things that felt good, that didn't feel good. I don't even think you should qualify them. Just write them down. And then be like, what are the things that I want to pursue? Where does the arrow want to shoot towards? 
using that bow and arrow metaphor again. And then develop consciousness and energy in those areas. Focus on those areas as we go into eclipse season in October. That will be a very efficient, lubricated mode of moving, baby. Move that way. Now, things were slow. They were crunchy. They're going to move a lot faster now. So I also want you to know that this week could feel like an influx of mental energy with Mars moving to Gemini and Virgo Sun. This is a ton of mental energy. It can be obsessive thinking. It can be overanalyzing. So those are the things to actually like put boundaries around with your own brain. This is highly cerebral, highly mercurial energy. So I want everyone to be like, you know, meditation would be great or doing things that are very somatic and very deep in the body and uh, have a little bit of balance with how much you're using your brain to run your life, basically. This is where the monkey mind can be very, very loud. This is a very screamy monkey. So just, you know, know that the speed's going to pick up, the mental processes will pick up, you'll get a lot, most people will get a lot more text messages, DMs, it's just going to be more social with that Mars and Gemini. Now we're going to be talking a lot about Mars and Gemini, precisely because Mars will be retrograde from October 30th till January 12th, which makes him in the sign of Gemini from this week, August 20th, all the way, so well, last week, August 20th, all the way until March 25th. March 25th, 2023. So there's going to be a very fierce desire to communicate something in our lives during this period of time. Mars is fierce. Communication is Gemini. Gemini. It's that easy. It's like we're going to want to get a message across in our life, right? And we're going to be forced to communicate in new ways. That's the beauty of Mars and Gemini. Mars basically energizes and inspires. And Gemini is communication, talking, being clear, being transparent. Now, the problem with Gemini the problem or the challenge of Gemini, I should say, the challenge of Gemini is talking out of both sides of your mouth. So be very mindful during this period of time that it will be potentially easier to skirt around the truth or to create multiple truths, right? This is another thing. Anthony and I wanted to talk about like living in a post-truth world. We may be familiar with the fact that Donald Trump was born on a an eclipse in the Gemini Sag axis and is a Gemini sun, right? someone known for sort of like heralding the post-truth era. Gemini has such an affinity for being like, oh, look, all these things can be false and true at the same time, baby. Multiplicity of truths. This is a really challenging thing to deal with and can have massive repercussions, you know, in relationships. Uh, this is where gaslighting can come in, etc. So the dangers of Mars and Gemini is that those things get fired up on a shadow level, basically, where people might be more inclined to lie, might be more inclined to gossip, might be more inclined to spread communication that isn't helpful, right? Or communication that just isn't true, right? <laughs> um, either embellishments or, uh, you know, alleged things, right? So being mindful of that and being, I, I mean, every one of us should go into the Mars retrograde with a consciousness, which is, again, this whole, it's the, well, not just the Mars retrograde, the Mars ingress, which is, as I said, the dates were August 20th until March 25th of 2023. It's a long time to work on your communication skills, but it is exactly what the medicine of the sky is right now for everybody. So it's about working uh, on and cleaning up your communication skills. This is huge. Erring on the side of being honest and having integrity will serve everybody right now. And I'm going to be totally real with you here. A lot of people are not going to do that. A lot of folks are going to be like, you know what? I can get away with this. That's Mars and Gemini. Mars and Gemini is like, no one's going to catch me. It's all good. But my advice is 
that it will be so much easier come 2023 if you have been like, oh, I'm going to intentionally work to be more clear. And the, and if I do get an opportunity to kind of be slippery with the truth, I'm not going to choose that. I'm actually going to actively choose to slow down and find a way to do this with integrity. That's my big piece of advice for Mars in Gemini, okay? This will help heal during Virgo season, just being really clear about it, experimenting with new things. That's Mars in Gemini in general, is experimenting with new potentially health regimes, exercise regimes, uh experimenting with new ways of communicating, new styles of communicating, um, you know, leaving your comfort zone. Mars and Gemini is about leaving the comfort zone and trying new things. I kind of joke with clients who have Mars and Gemini. I tell them that they're trisexuals, that they'll try anything once. <laughs> and I do mean that in a sexual capacity, but I also mean that in the life capacity, trying new things, being less stubborn. Mars and Taurus is extremely fixed and extremely stubborn. And we just left that. And now we're in a really flexible Mars where our Mars just like he just woke up and is like, cool, I can do acrobatics right now. <laughs> like, so I'm going to reiterate that this energy, this tone shift can manifest as like meticulous and articulate speech. Really, like if you want to write something down, this is a great time to write, write a novel, write a script, write an essay, you know, steamy texts, bedroom talk, all those. Mm, 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 it's all on point. Anyone trying to seduce somebody over like DMs. Great. Go for it. Clever wordsmithing. But the, the other side is anxious and repetitive thoughts, over-analysis, paralysis, huge here, right? Just like thinking about something to the point where it almost doesn't even make sense anymore. You know when you say a word so many times, you're like, that word sounds so weird. That's what this is with thoughts, okay? Monkey mind, massively. And then, you know, people might this is very Donald Trump, people might use language to deceive or manipulate. That's the thing to watch out for. So be on guard for the way that you potentially are doing that. And then the way that other people may also not be as inclined towards a singular truth right now. That's what Gem Gemini is multiplicities or doubles. And so some people, you know, two sides talking out of two sides of the mouth. That's what this energy can really manifest as. So keep that in mind. You know, the most radical thing you could do during this transit is be very honest and just be like, this is what it is. This is what my understanding of the truth is. Like, this is what I saw as objectively as possible. This is hard to do because humans are messy, but we're doing our best. Okay. So the things I'm going to do, give us three things to contemplate this week, and then we're going to move right on in to Antonia Crane. So the three things, first thing is we're going to have very empowered communication this week. So there is going to be a lot of talking. This is a really great time to get to the bottom of something with somebody and to be very real, like to be profoundly bold, speak your truth, honest and solution oriented, listening to what others have to say too. And especially if you're talking to someone in a position of power over you, this is a great time to just be like, I'm listening. How do we like make this beneficial for both of us? There's some solutions in communication this week. I love that. So very empowering. Speak up. Speak your truth this week. Like take the risk to be like, this is what I'm thinking and feeling. It will honor you. It will it will award you. You will be rewarded this week for that. The second thing is that there is the new moon in Virgo. Socializing will increase near the end of the week. That's when that new moon is. It's a huge emphasis on healing through being social, more talking, writing, texting contracts, like I've said, short distance travel. It can be very all over the place energy or like an ADHD-like quality. So slowing down 
before you're saying things can be very helpful. It'll be hard to slow down, but saying things slowly, meaning them. Things that can pop up right around this time during the new moon at the end of the week are health issues, taking care of the physical body, resting more, being of service to others, a big one, and then working on the daily routine, okay? If you do run into problems, it's a great time to just talk it out. Like, not necessarily a week to be avoidant. It's a good week to just talk things out. Writing is also favored, like I keep saying. Great week to journal if you need to journal. Now, your heart, the third thing is your heart, okay? It's so important. It should be the first thing, but it's the third thing this week. Your heart or your heart's desires may be tested this weekend, okay? A tone of seriousness around desire, play, inner child, actual children, and expressivity. This is Venus opposite Saturn. So intense. Oh my gosh. Thank God we're getting through this. It's going to feel sobering around anything that Venus rules. Saturn has a tendency to starve anything that he touches. So he will kind of starve Venus this week. There's an element of feeling like you may feel blocked in relationship dynamics. You may feel blocked in relationship to money or resources. So just work on your relationships this weekend. It, it, it doesn't sound like a fun weekend. And I look at the transit, I'm like, this is going to be sobering for a lot of people. It's sort of like a, a, a slight echo of the August 11th full moon. So look in your calendar as to what was going on between August 9th and August 13th, 14th. And that's kind of coming, it's pinging us back again on this weekend being like, did you, did you look at the relationship issue? Did you look at the money issue? Did you look at the XYZ having to do with pleasure, uh, intimacy, etc.? Saturn's checking it. Saturn's like, did you do it? Did you face it? Did you resolve it? And if there is work to be done, it will certainly present itself over the weekend. So just keep that in mind. Third thing. So the overarching energy of the week is that Monday, Tuesday, there's going to be a focus on any sort of feelings of security, familial themes, thinking about your family. Do you feel grounded? Any of the cancers in your life may come in Monday, Tuesday. And then Wednesday is really kind of the peak day of having important conversations although it could be happening all week, but I really like Wednesday for having important conversations. Thursday is my favorite day of the week. We have Moon trining Jupiter as Venus trines Chiron. So Wednesday is a day to heal things, to feel inspired, to go for what your heart is, like healing your heart, healing in relationships, feeling love pouring over you, in you. Great day to take a risk and be vulnerable in regards to heart expansion. So taking a risk to be intimate, taking a risk to reach out, stepping out of your comfort zone to heal old wounds with people you love, it will be very easeful this day. So that's Wednesday the 25th, y'all. Healing inner child work is also super, super supported here. Love Wednesday. It's kind of like hump day, but hump day has got like a lot of soothing, loving energy. The new moon is on Saturday. Uh, we've got that Mars and Gemini squaring that new moon. So there's just a lot of conversations. People are going to be talking. If you do need to slow down, like taking, make, like really creating a boundary over texting. You know, I think about texting all the time because my parents are like really old school and my dad was born in 1943. So the man lived the majority of his life never looking at a cell phone. And I always think about, wow, like he wasn't beholden to like immediately responding to people for so long, right? He would write postcards when he traveled. <laughs> like, <laughs> really wild. I do that, you know, with text messaging. I just like, I give myself full permission and full boundary to be like, I will respond to them when I feel grounded enough to do so. And if it's not immediate, that's okay. They're gonna be okay. It's also great to communicate that to people. You know, especially people who do, you know, do have anxiety in your life or do overthink things. Letting them know, I will respond when I'm ready. 
it's not personal. There's just a lot going on. Okay. So there can be an influx of that, right? With that new moon, but a great time to just be honest. This is a great week to be honest and have integrity in your communications. Things will go far during that new moon. If you are just like very clear or even experimental with how you're communicating or going outside of your comfort zone to communicate new things in a way that still feels in your integrity and in alignment with who you are and how you want to present yourself. So good time to do all those things. Is there anything else happening? Yeah, that's Saturday new moon. I did say Saturday's a little bit sobering because of that Venus opposite to Saturn. That's just going to create a level of work in relationships. Okay. Wednesday was really sweet. There's a bubbliness to Wednesday, but then by the time the weekend rolls around, that Aquarius new moon is going to, or that Aquarius full moon on August 11th will haunt us a little bit. Okay. And be like, Oh, there's still more cleanup to do. There's still more responsibility to take and self-accountability. So make sure during the weekend that you are being accountable to yourself and being accountable to the partnerships in your life, okay? The people you love. Big time to do that. So that is the weekend. That is the week. And, you know, it takes two to tango. Think about that. That's some Mars and, Mars and Gemini medicine right there. Every relationship is two people. It always takes two people to tango. Nothing is born in a vacuum. And we need each other and we need to communicate to each other. So this is where things are going to get a lot more chatty. People will get a lot more flexible with their thinking. They'll experiment with their thoughts and their processes. It's a beautiful time to write for all the writers out there. I highly support it. And everybody, take time this week to question your internal monologue if it feels abusive or neglectful or uh, demeaning or harsh take some time to like just talk to yourself in a way that is very positive neuro-linguistic work is super powerful this week just flooding your brain with being like i can do this i love to do x y and z i am good at these things i am loved i am lovable i love you know like I, it all sounds so woo woo but it's so important to do when you have so much gemini activation flood yourself with positive thoughts as much as possible you can still be realistic about life but erring on the side of like empowered thinking not necessarily like roses and daisies and hippie times it's like just empowered thinking i can solve this problem I can figure this out or I need help to figure this out, but I have the, I am empowered to ask people for support, right? All of that is going to benefit you so much this week on the note of communication and getting into the weeds of it. We are about to jump into this wonderful conversation that I had with Antonia Crane at Apex Photo Studio in downtown Los Angeles. The world of Rex is moving on up. I love it. I love it. Hire me, baby. Um, <laughs> speaking of the universe there, she's already hired me. This is the most wonderful, wonderful communion inside Apex Photo Studios ever for all time. Anthony Crane. Enjoy. I am sitting in the studios for the first time ever. I have, to be honest, been recording in a closet in my house in East L.A., but today we are being sponsored by Apex Photo Studios in downtown Los Angeles. I am here with Antonia Crane. Hey, I'm right here with my lesbian phone sex voice. We are going to have so much fun. I am living. You, I, I thought I had a great radio voice, and I'm just like, I'm sitting <laughs> in the, the midst of a god right now. No, you do have a great radio voice. It's super sexy. Thank so. you. Thank you. Yeah. Here we are together being sexy and with our voices, most importantly. Antonia did share before we jumped on that perhaps the last sense to go when someone is dying is hearing. Hearing. Mm -hmm. So here we are. As you, everyone is about to pass through the veil, you can hear our voices. 
So we are very grateful. World of Rex is very grateful to Apex Photo Studios. Check them out on Instagram at Apex Photo Studios. I am stoked to be sponsored by them today for this episode. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Antonia Crane, and we're going to hop in because we're going to get like messy and sexy and academic up in here. Hell yeah, you're so fun to be smart with. <laughs> Thank you. Same. So Antonia Crane is a sex worker, a, f- a writer, a filmmaker, an activist, and an academic. She's also a dear friend of mine. She is a PhD candidate at USC Annenberg. She founded Strippers United, a labor org for strippers to organize their workplaces and fight for better, safer worker conditions. Her memoir, Spent, was published in France 2021 to rave reviews across the pond in France and Belgium. She's written for tons of publications, including the New York Times, The Toast, Playboy, Los Angelino, Cosmo, The Huffington Post, a lot more. And her most recent project, which we will be talking about, is Pandemic Peep Show, a book of photographs, reviews, and interviews of strippers for when the pandemic shut down all the strip clubs and everyone became a cam performer. Super interesting part of history that needs to be acknowledged. She is printing with Eureka Press out of Kingston, New York. Welcome, Antonia. Thanks, Marvel. I'm really excited to be here. This is so fancy. It's so cool. I know. It's great. Thank you for having me. I like it here. Yes, it's it's mutual. You belong in a studio. (laughs) Thank you. We've been talking about this pre-talk. Give me a talk show, transmasculine host. Here we go. We need to. Yes. This needs to happen. Yes. In our pre-show chat, you brought so much to me. I loved it. Like it was a deluge of of feminist texts and your own book. I read the. I looked over the pandemic peep show. And it was so beautiful to like be washed over with stuff that I'd studied back in like 10, 12 years ago. I, I knew about critical race, gender, and sexuality theory way before Republicans did. Um, so, <laughs> you know, here we are. I wanted to start out, I wanted to start out with a quote from the Kambahi River Collective. And you sent that to me. You sent that to me I as did. a text to read, and I'm so glad. And I'd read it before, but it had been literally a decade. I so, thought it would be a great kind of icebreaker for us to look at something beautiful together. And will you describe the Kambahi River Collective uh, for just a moment, like brief description of the folks who wrote it, just so that sure. everyone knows? I mean, it's um, it's a statement, like a manifesto from 1977, and it comes from black feminist thought. Cool. And um, I want to talk a lot about intersectional feminism today, which is race and class and all of the intersecting oppressions. Yeah that um, I think the Kambahi River Collective really encapsulates in this really beautiful way. Um, it's a great anti-racist text. It's, um, I just read it recently out loud mm. over dinner. Um, you can just like read it and, and it's still so current and yeah. it's still so relevant and important and vital. Yes. So I just thought, and it also kind of feels like prayer. Mm. And I feel like as we um, look at astrology with a slightly different lens that I'm hopefully introducing or bringing in today, Yeah. Um, I thought that it would be kind of a good start. Yeah, launching point. Yeah. Yes. You can find, for the folks listening, you can find the Kambahi River Collective Manifesto on blackpast.org. And that's an amazing website in and of itself, so thank you for forwarding that to me. The quote that I yeah the quote that I wanted to start out with was as feminists we do not want to mess over people in the name of politics we believe in collective process and a non hierarchical distribution of power within our group and our vision of a revolutionary society we are committed to a continual examination of our politics as they develop through criticism and self criticism as an essential aspect of our practice 
that was written in 1977. It feels so prescient yep. for today. Absolutely. More so than ever. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah, so um, I wanted to ask you about astrology. Should we jump Let's in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and then we're going to get to you because you're definitely, we'll get there. But yes, I love this. Let's do it. Let's yeah, jump let's into jump it. In. Let's jump into a critical examination of astrology. Bring well, it to me. I want to actually like first say that um, I've been listening to your podcast for a while mm. and I'm a giant fan. Thank you. But I'm not an astrology person. Mm. Like I'm, I'm, there I go with my lip smacking. Um, I'm not the person at the party that's like, oh, I'm Sagittarius. This is why, you know, you're uh, whatever Leo with an Aquarius rising, blah blah blah. I won't. I'm only gonna date a Gemini man or whatever. Like, I'm not right. that person, but I know that it's very prevalent in queer culture. Right. So, because I love your podcast and because I love the expansiveness and how you talk about it, and I think it's very literary. Mm. Literary. It involves flourish and poetry yes. and kind of this invitation to bring people in in this universal way. Mm. Um, I got on an app in preparation for this podcast. Yes. And I started reading it. Um, co-star. Co-star. Yes. And I've been reading it every day. And mm. I like it because I feel like it's the literary one. Mm. Yes, it's very poetic. It's yeah. very poetic. So I just yes. wanted to say that I'm a giant fan, but I also was like... There are some things that I that interest me and that I want to say in the body politic of where we are today, mm. politically, gender-wise, and and I want to talk about the history of like queer culture. Like there are some things that worry me a little bit about mm. people's obsession with astrology. And I want to get into it. Let's do it. Oh, I <laughs> want to jump in there. We were talking in the pre-show as someone who's done the conversion process through Judaism. One of the core tenements of Judaism is engaging feistily and like with zealous in argumentation, but not argumentation that's disrespectful, but like, let's get into the meat of why. And I don't even know if you and I will disagree necessarily, mm -hmm. but into the meat of maybe uncomfortable elements of a t any topic. Okay. So let's do it. Like do I, I want to hear what your what your worries and concerns are because I definitely have some thoughts as well. But right. yes, let's go into it. Okay, sure. So I was thinking about when I think about your podcast, I was like, well, why are queer so obsessed with with astrology? Great question. Um, why? Some things that come to mind about why queers are obsessed with astrology are one is I really believe that there is like this desire to connect quickly. Mm. Almost mm. like speed dating, a, a desire to know. And then I think the flip side of that that I'm curious about is how much uncertainty are you able to live with? Yes. How much uncertainty are you willing to live with? Um, and as, you know, the pandemic happened and we're dealing with um, a collective eviscerating loss, all of the deaths with COVID, mm -hmm. um, the loss of abortion access in over 50 years, Yes. Um, the takeover of fascists of this country or the attempt to yeah. take over and remove basic autonomy, basic bodily rights from people with uteruses and women specifically. Yes. I feel like we, I need to think about all of these things together because it's a, it's a whole body politic. Yes. Um, and so I think that queers as like a, um, our body, like I'm a queer woman, I'm a femme. And um, I came of age in San Francisco, and I know we're going to talk yes. about my history oh, later. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so good. But, like, it's also, um, I think that 
there's a longing for answers. Mm. And I also think that we're suffering culturally from terminal loneliness. Yes, this is huge. And also like an inability to like really grapple with uncertainty in this mm. time, in this time of fascist takeover, in this yeah. time of losing so many people, yeah. in this time of losing bodily autonomy, in this time of SESTA-FAFSA, mm. which is a law which removed sex workers completely from the internet and their IDs and profiles were seized literally by the FBI. Yes. Incarceration of a workforce. Yeah. So like, I do think that, um, uh, there is this longing to connect and this longing to feel safe and to feel connected to our own. Um, and so that's what I was wondering about. Like, And I also like think that queers are obsessed with astrology, which I think, and I'm, for today's talk, I look at it as a religion. And I have issues I was with religion. I was about to say it's a religion, so you just jumped the gun for me. Yeah. Okay, good. So, like, as astrology as a religion, I have problems with religion. Like, totally. I have problems with patriarchy and white supremacy and totally. sexism and toxic masculinity and dot, 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 and, and. <laughs> um, I do think that queer history has a tendency to want to be playful and creative mm. and to be self-expressed and to be to be self-affirming and to have self-evaluation and self-definition. Mm. And I think that is also the core of intersectional black feminist thought mm. that and transnational feminism, that the way that we oppress, the way that we resist oppression is through our self-definition, self-evaluation, and our agency and our desire and our eroticism and our play yes. and our queer self-expression and silliness. Yes. <laughs> And so I think that astrology kind of like rides that tension. Like there's mm -hmm. a little bit of um, wanting to know things and there's a little bit of like, I feel totally lonely and alienated from my family and I want to know another Libra. Yes, <laughs> right. I'm not a Libra, by the way, yes. but um, I'll never tell. I'll never tell I what I say, really I have am. Your I have your chart like, <laughs> memorized now, but I won't, I won't spook you. So in terms of like religion, I worry about... Um, I worry about who is susceptible, mm -hmm. who is suggestible. Yeah. And in my experience, in my limited femme dyke <laughs> experience, I think women have a tendency to be suggestible to being told who they are and what's going on and what they're going to be. Mm. And I feel like women are the ones during a breakup that call, that spend $500 calling a psychic three times in one week, going to their tarot card or reader seven times in a month. Hello, present, I've done it. Oh my God. But men don't do that shit. Yeah. I don't know any man, gay or otherwise, that has like gotten broken up with, suffered like a eviscerating rejection, an unprocessable rejection, and called the psychic number right. three times in a week. Right. Why do women do that? So I worry is all. Um, I worry. So these concepts of like self-definition, self-evaluation, self-agency in a culture where women were just, our bodily autonomy was just removed from us. So we're not full yes. people right now. Yes. We're not able to participate in the marketplace in yes. a full way. Yes. That's real. Yes. Um, and the ideology that is sweeping the nation is a white supremacy ideology that is really fucking people up. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that this is a great time to reanimate black feminist thought 
and the Kambahi River Collective, and Patricia Hill Collins, yes. Insider, Insider Out, um, and look at like Leslie Feinberg, Leslie Feinberg, an American butch lesbian who basically gave the term transgender legs. Yes, I love Leslie Feinberg. Huge shout out. And Joan Nessel, a self-identified femme Jewish woman who um, people critiqued her for butch femme relationships and were like, oh, this is a binary and like, fuck that. And you're just a tool of the patriarchy and you're and you're pornographic. And like the anti-porn feminists came for her and she... And she has some, um, they, they saw her relationship as negative and heterosexual modeling, that she was mm. modeling heterosexuality. Mm. Instead of like, no, she was like, F you, I'm a femme dyke woman and I'm writing erotic, erotica and this is my self-expression and right. I'm silly and I'm femme and this is my story and like being self-expressed. And I wonder if like Leslie Feinberg and Joan Nessel um, called a psychic and or, or if Leslie knew about <laughs> the, his astrology. I know, it's just so good. But yeah, so race, class, and intersectional feminism as resistance, um, I would like to invite that into the room mm, today in yes. terms of how we look and think about astrology yes. and, and how we look at like agency, queer desire, silliness. and yes. all, Because I know there's also that part of astrology that's just fun and silly and encouraging. Yeah. And creates um, like a social lubrication, like you sort of alluded to. Yeah, it's an icebreaker. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So those are the, some things on my mind. Yeah. I know it's kind of a lot. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, you're talking, I f you know I love to just juggle all the balls. Excellent, um, please. And there's so many places that I go to, and I'm going to try to keep it a little bit more succinct, but I will say that one thing I just want to preface this whole conversation with that hasn't been brought up yet is dig digital technology and how far... I think that we are still in this lag period of understanding how far digital technology has like pushed our reality into new spaces and our social fabric and all of this because astrology itself, astrology itself now on YouTube has a totally different, it's, it's seeing like what's considered like a second coming of popularity because there are mm. so many YouTube tarot people and YouTube astrologers and they are making, they are monetizing their work through YouTube and they are reaching hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people. And some of them are legit astrologers. Like they've, they've gotten their certifications in whatever way you can. And then there's tons of people. You could consider my podcast as an example of people who are like, I have done the work, or maybe I even haven't done the work, but I'm saying that I'm an authority, which we also spoke about in the pre-show talk. Mm -hmm. who, who is the authoritative voice? Do we question the authoritative voice? And it's so interesting because when I go to YouTube, it's like every different kind of person is an astrologer. There's one of my favorite astrologers is Stormy Grace, who's a black queer woman. Hmm. But then there's also uh, Cam White, who is a white, to my best knowledge, straight man, young Gen Z. And it's just completely varied personalities and experiences and positionalities, to use a feminist term. Mm -hmm. And everyone is speaking from a voice of authoritativeness. So that's just interesting. I'm just I'm bringing in mm -hmm. the digital component where it's like before in the 90s, you literally had to call somebody up mm -hmm. or go to a brick and mortar. Well, that's just access, right? So yeah. what one thing that the digital media scape has given us is access. Exactly. So you have your teal swan. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Teal swan. And oh. then you have a gazillion <laughs> male gurus who yes. exploit and hurt people and I think take away a lot of agency and yes. self-valuation yes. and self respect and dignity yes. 
for monetary gain yes. and cause a lot of harm, and that also worries me. But why do you think, I guess back to my question of, so what's that? What's up with that? What's like, why do that? you think everyone is so interested in knowing the answers, and do you think that people can't sit with the amount of uncertainty we have in our lives right now? I wanted to, I wanted to like fully come out of the closet since we're now in the studio, I'm out of my closet. I wanted to say that, you know, if I'm gonna be just completely transparent, I think I came into astrology precisely because I have a tendency towards being a control freak. And there's a science behind it when you get really, really deep with it where you can literally, I don't do this every day, but you can literally look at every single transit or planetary movement and delineate it into a way where you're like, oh, this is the overall tone of the day. I basically do that on the podcast to a degree, but I think it's a hyper, a hyper state of wanting to control or to at least uh, be forewarned to be forearmed. But I think underneath it, if I'm gonna get a little psychological here, mm -hmm. I think part of it as a queer person is like my, I came into life and I thought when I was younger that I was schizophrenic because I was like, my understanding of myself is not matching what everyone else is saying about me. And I, may, I mean that in a gender sense, but I yeah. also mean it in like an ontological emotional sense. Like people didn't, like the I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. The way people were interacting with each other, the way that heterosexual dynamics were happening in front of me, literally made no sense to me. But they were considered normal, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I thought I was the of course you know as a trans queer trans person or any kind of queer person, you're like I guess I'm the broken one or I'm the crazy one. And so astrology has been a way from a very young age where I was like oh this is some sort, it's slightly fantasy world. Like it has a fantastical feeling to it that feels outside of straight time, heterosexual time to use a, a Jose Esteban Munoz mm -hmm. term. And it's also a place where like other people are agreeing upon it. So there is a collectivity, right? You can be like, okay, I'm connected some way to some, some invisible fabric of people. And now it's a visible fabric on YouTube. You literally can be like, oh, and here I am with a giant community of people who all sort of believe kind of the same thing. I agree with that. I mean, I think that like that what you're describing is what I this idea of alienation, wanting to connect, feeling different than is I think a reach for well, I mean, I'm I'm not here to disprove astrology and I'm not here to prove astrology. I I do look at it as a religion. Like yeah. that would be like saying, "Oh, well, prayer doesn't exist." Well, who cares? Like yeah. it works. <laughs> it works. Uh, exactly. Recovery doesn't exist. Well, recovery works. Exactly. And um so yeah, what interests me is like the drive to do, do that it. and you're saying that it's you're trying to control your day. You're trying to control your situation yeah or to know like, or like, to know things that can't be known i'll give an maybe. example i'll give a layered example one is it, one of which is epigenetic so my family goes i all don't know what that word means epigenetic is like through the ancestral line what is oh, what gotcha. is what gets put through the genetic code and that you are sort of living and embodying as the current you know manifestation of your genealogical line right okay. so the layer, I'm gonna go historical here on my side. My family on my mother's side is like basically 100% Catalan, which is like a, sp a specific place in eastern, northeastern north Spain mm -hmm. that is Sephardic Jew. Jews, Sephardic Jews come from there. It's the Mecca of Sephardic Judaism. It's also where Kabbalah really came out of, but Kaba mm -hmm. Kabbalists specifically are astrological. They study astrology. So they're a, for, they're a branch of Judaism that really focuses on astrology. Hmm. Now, my family comes from that region where like astrological and Judaic practices were interwoven. Hmm. It's funny to me that here I am in Los Angeles in 2022, and I'm 
I can't escape thinking in an astrological way, and I can't escape thinking in a Jewish way. And I'm obsessed with Judaism and astrology together, but also separately. And I'm like, what are the chances that that is where my lineage is from, and that is where the birth of these practices are from? Not that the birth of astrology comes from Spain, but there's a specific type of Kabbalistic astrology that I feel very called to that's really similar to Western astrology in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So all is to say, I think that there's numinous and maybe unexplainable factors as to why I am drawn specifically. And then the more easy or surface level answer is that, yes, I have literally looked and been like, okay, I'm ruled by the moon. I'm going to give you a weird example. I'm ruled by the moon as a Cancer rising. So my ruling planet is the moon. She's technically a luminary gendered, totally. You caught that. And when I've had the moon in tense or harsh or challenging aspects with outer planets that are a little bit considered more mean. I have I have noticed retrospectively, so not going in, because there's the thought of like, oh, if I know that there's going to be a bad transit, I could create the, the badness, right? But retrospectively, I look back at the transit and I'm like, oh my god, I was feeling really fucked up during that period of time. And there, you can see it. And, and sometimes it is to the minute, Antonia. That's the thing that is so scary to me, is that mm-hmm. I look back and I'm like, I've been, I call it an experimentation. I'm still experimenting with astrology. It's an experiment to me, but science is religion as well. My parents are both biochemists, and I completely consider biochemistry and and the scientific method to be their religion. Astrology is my religion. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to deny that, Mm -hmm. you know? And it might not always be my religion. I might hit 50 years old and be like, you know what? I don't need to know anymore. Yeah, but what's interesting about astrology, and like, I don't know what what is meant by transit um, and things Mm. like that, but I feel like it's, it's not something that can really be challenged. And I feel like um, one of the drives that I'm hearing from your story is that you're looking for an answer to why you feel a certain way and looking yes. outside into the atmosphere in which you live yeah. and the culture in which you live and the family in which you lived to why you feel a certain way. And I think mm-hmm. as a trans person, transit is a really <laughs> great word to yeah. use. Yeah. And I think it's an accurate word to use. Um, and so it's almost like... What I mean, what I was going to question also is like certainly queers. We always are looking for an escape route. I think from pain, from collective loss, from. You said earlier, unmetabolizable. Unmetabolizable pain, rage, rage, and pain and suffering. Yes. Unmetabolizable suffering. Yes. Naming it, I think, um, is helpful. And I and I'm I'm interested in like where is astrology helpful? Yes. Um, but I also kind of like the thing about religion is it's difficult to question, mm. but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I love it. There's a dark side to it in the sense that like, I don't ever want people to think, and I think Chani Nicholas, whose partner is a massive activist, by the way. So Chani is like a queer astrologer here in LA. She's basically like a pop culture astrologer. She has the Chani app. You can find her on Instagram, very active. And she has a huge following, right? But Chani talks about, she always gives the preface of like, knowing the transits doesn't give you a free ride to be an asshole. Right. (laughs) Astrology doesn't give you a free, if you know you're an Aries, it doesn't give you a free ride or a free ticket to be like, oh, I'm an Aries, so I'm X, Y, and Z a dick. Mm -hmm. Like, no. Right. So there's a really, I think with anything in life, there's a fine line and it's always complicated and we have to be, and I think your point is like, let's be conscious about the psychic ramifications, the emotional ramifications of any religion, but specifically in this case, Astrology. I sometimes read for yeah. people and they're like, oh, great, you kind of gave me permission. I'm like, no, 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 I believe that you also have free will. This is not, you're not being ruled by these things to be a, 
a, a bad person or to be unethical. Right. right, and I think applying a feminist critique is, um, I'm interested in how to create change as an activist. Mm -hmm. So how can we apply a feminist critique yeah. to these things that you're learning about what's planets are here or what's in transit and things, however you, I don't know the language, but yeah. whatever the language is of your astrolo astrological planes and the things that you're checking in with and the points all the time, it's like, how can we apply a feminist critique? Mm. Because my question before I think is still relevant is like, who is suggestible? Women. Why? Why are women calling psychics and spending all of this money and men don't? Because yeah. of patriarchy. Yeah. So um, how can we create change in astrological learning yeah. to give women more agency and more autonomy? Yes. That's the change that I want to insert here. Yes. In the critique of astrology and any other religion, yes. actually. Because yes. historically and now, there's a delegitimization, delegitimization of feminist critique. So yes. I wanted to like bring it all back. I love Bring it. it on back. I love it. It's so strange. I think about YouTube immediately because I'm like, there are a few really badass femme. A lot of them are queer women of color who are astrologers on YouTube who are like, I think, very directly speaking to women. They don't ever use hmm. highly gendered language because they obviously don't want to alienate their audiences. A lot of them get monetized through hmm. YouTube. But when I listen to them, I'm like, they're talking to women. Do mostly. you want to give them a call out? Um, Stormy Grace is amazing. Okay. Stormy yeah. Grace is an amazing queer and black astrologer she's mm -hmm. really really good mm -hmm. and you know I, I she's a fierce fierce femme and like I think she's kind of honest about her stuff about her life and and I think she's she talks about relationship dynamics I think she dates men mostly mm -hmm. um, I'm making an assumption I could be wrong um, but she yeah she talks about relationship dynamics and she talks from a space of like self-empowerment so there is a lot of self-empowerment I think that our conversation to fold in a feminist critique, it's like there's so many other, like I see like sidewinding snakes of like digital technology, singularity theory, the fact that we are overwhelmed with content right now mm -hmm. in general, podcasts, um, everything on social media, uh, cancel culture, all of this is happening. And I think in some ways astrology has kind of flown under the radar of a lot of the cancel, cancel culture because the queer community welcomes it with open arms. For a reason. And I wonder if it's a connectivity thing, a social lubrication thing, and I wonder also if it makes queer folks like ourselves or like myself feel more in control or more connected and less alienated. Yeah, and maybe healed. Because I think that also that's an aspect of not only my sex work community, but I think astrologers in general is you feel like you're, you're going to a therapy session almost. Like some things are incredibly enlightening and incredibly emotional. All of my work with private clients and anyone who's listening to this podcast, are some of which are my private clients, and some of them are recurring clients, so they don't just get a reading from me once a year, they get a reading from me regularly. It feels like therapy. It does. And the thing that is a nuanced and potentially, you know, I'm always critical of is like, I'm not a licensed therapist. So I always have to have this moment of like, you know, I have folks cry and break down in the middle of a reading. I have some folks be like, wow, how did you know that? And I'm like, I'm not a psychic, I just looked at the chart. and you know, it can be it can be uncanny the experience, and really, as you said, like it can literally erupt things inside of people. And I don't always have I'm learning, but I don't always have the skills that like a therapist would when someone is breaking down. And often it's done through Zoom. A lot of my readings are done through Zoom, so it's like someone's having an emotional process, but they're in their room on Zoom. Yeah. So these are all questions. They're all really good ethical questions of like what's happening. I I know that I'm not the only one doing astrology readings with people on Zoom. Yeah. It's happening all the time right now. 
and tarot readers too. There's people are making a ton of money doing tarot. Yeah, and but there then, you go. but then there's an interesting. But then I'm like, oh my god, there's just a, such an interesting. I just realized something because one of my clients is a cam worker. She is a professional cam girl, mm-hmm. and we talk about her meeting clients on Zoom through the pandemic. Right, and it's like it's different than obviously we can go. We're going to go deep into this, but yeah, it's, it's I so go into it's this. so different than meeting a client in person in a room. Right, way different, way different. And then if in as we spoke about in the pre talk pre show talk, you said something about like you know, the amount of intimacy and emotional breakthrough that's happening in that's different than just the sex that there's so, or sexuality that there's so much, it's like a therapy session. I mean, you kind of alluded to some of this work. So I'm just thinking about with my clients who've worked, who are cam girls who've worked on zoom, Mm -hmm. them being like, yeah, sometimes like I get to just shut the camera off when I'm done. Like I get to just leave Mm -hmm. and it's interesting. It's really different. Yeah. Right. As an in-person sex worker for 29 years, off and on, mostly on, um, the work that I do, like we talked a little bit in the pre-show, is it's very, it's very often not about sex. In fact, mostly 99%, it's not about sex. It's about the connection. It's about the emotional connection. And like a therapeutic, the friendship. right? Well, I mean, it's like we can't talk about the what people need from a sex worker until we really talk about like the alienation and dehumanization that capitalism encourages and like that the brokenness of masculinity Mm -hmm. and how um their daughters don't want to listen to them their wives hate them yeah and they fall into the arms of a stripper like that's what we're there for and so that that's the healing thing Mm -hmm. like i've always kind of um kept all of that very much in check for myself like because for me, I'm, I'm such a dedicated worker and laborer, and um, as a collective, I'm, the work is really important to me, and I don't demean it or worship it. It's just um, I need it to be right-sized. Um, you're, so sa- I, you're kind of, uh, let me clarify really quick. You're saying, like, you don't get too attached to whatever a man is projecting on you as, like, some sort of savior complex. Is that oh, right? Oh, no, what I'm saying is, like, um, I know there's, like, a lot of goddessy stuff that yes, goes totally. with, sex work and I'm not saying that's not true mm-hmm. it's just not my deal right you're like I'm not a I'm not a like a, a I'm not a goddess yeah I'm not a therapist but I mean I definitely have a lot of compassion yeah and I've enjoyed um long-term relationships with clients that yeah. I know better than I know all of my family members mm-hmm. any of them mm-hmm. any yeah. of the alive family members that I have yeah and that's really interesting yeah the the terminal loneliness that people are suffering the break from mm. connection yeah um and i do think that there's an escape there that mm-hmm. they come in and do and want sex work and they want someone to listen to them and hold them yeah um so yeah we were talking about that in terms of healer and therapist, therapist. and the job and the, the emotional labor and, and what i can it, see that crossover and what it brought up for me too because wh- what we're talking about is we're talking about therapy outside of like what is considered by our s- culture and society as like legitimized therapy, right? Legitimized psychotherapy, legitimized right. psychology. We were talking about other people who act as therapists who are not cert- quote unquote certified, right? We do a lot of work. You do a lot of work, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm like, I know from my personal experience and then y- your personal experience doing sex work that there's a lot of therapy that's happening. But also I'm like, you know, as someone who is assigned female birth and, and socialized as a woman, uh, my experience is also being like, my default is like, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna listen and hold space. We're, and we're want, there to serve men. Yeah. 
my default is like, I want to learn, I want to understand where you're coming from, and I want to hold space for your emotions. That's like my default, is wanting right. to hold space and to mirror for the person what they're feeling right? so that they can heal. That's female socialization, for totally. sure. Totally. Like, I'm here to serve men um, and they and their needs and their emotional space and, um, and entertain them, entertain men at the expense of myself and perform all of this emotional and labor and keep all these secrets and all of that. And I wonder if the whole, I love your idea of like, why are women the ones that go to, just to keep it really like uh, gender Gendered. here for a moment, women the ones that go to a tarot or a psychic or a, an astrologer after a breakup rather than men, because I wonder if the predication is that men, there's nothing inherently wrong with men, but there's something inherently wrong with anyone who's not a man. So the people who, so women are like something's, they know that there's, quote unquote, mm -hmm. we're socialized to believe that we're, there's yes. something inherently wrong with us, so yes. we need to figure it out. Whereas when men get broken up with or exactly. they break up, they're like, there's nothing wrong with me. Patriarchy <laughs> tells me there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And also, I, I want to like also, um, a caveat is that um, we're talking about intersectional feminism, and that means the intersection, uh, intersecting oppressions. And yes. And where um, those oppressions connect and like how we can apply a feminist critique to astrology and yes. every religion and kind of all things. Um, and I'm not suggesting that like only women can be feminists. All no, people no. can Everyone. be feminists. And Everyone. I just wanted to like say that this isn't just about women. It's about people. Um, but it is also about kind of like where how can we change? I'm yeah. interested in changing the social body and giving women and people agency over their own autonomy yes. and their self value and their self um, self definition I think yes. that's really important and it's a key part of black feminist thought that's yes. what I wanted to say yes um, so yeah I think you're right like people um, people who aren't a man I, we feel like there's something wrong with us and we have to go fix it yes and if you put the t put it in a class level because we're talking about intersectional feminism mm -hmm. here you get fired I got I got you know escorted off the premises at a place that I worked for years and I thought you know I'm filled with shame there's something wrong with me because why because I publicly vocalized what happened when I got hired there and published it in an online article yes. in an online journal and they read it and, and they I was you. escorted off the premises at gunpoint oh my god mm -hmm. wow yeah and then also I'm all you know continuous workers in general not just me I've had it easy I have I enjoy a lot of white privilege mm -hmm. as a sex worker and as a as a human um, and I think that positionality is important also yes. when we're talking about feminism yes. my positionality as an overeducated white cis queer sex worker yes so having the privileges that I have even I have been like intimidated screamed at yelled at grabbed choked and um, yelled at screamed at robbed um, by my boss when I've challenged mm. certain things like the fact that they coerce us and rob us and my refusal to sign certain contracts. Yeah. Um, and that's because I was thinking of a we. Collectively, yes. we refuse this. Yes. But then I'm singled out and um, targeted mm -hmm. and screamed at and bribed and told to leave. Um, and that's retaliation. And But patriarchy tells me I deserved that. Right. Capitalism tells me I, I deserved that. I deserved yeah. that. There's something yeah. wrong with me. I did yeah. something wrong. I shouldn't yeah. have talked back. I'm never going to get a job now. And you know what? It's true. I'm blacklisted. Yeah. I wow. can't get hired. They know who I am. You know why? Fucking Instagram. Yeah. Right. Which is literally a Mark Zuckerberg invention. Speaking of like the penultimate white, rich, straight, cis man. Terror. Uh, this is so interesting because everything underlying what you're saying, I keep just the word capitalism keeps ringing out like a gong because I think that part of what ties and tethers 
and potentially could unify a lot of disparate identifications is the fact that we are all trying to navigate capital. I had a moment where I was like, you know, I monetize my practice as an astrologer and I've done sex work. And so I yeah. know what it's like to use the things that I'm good at, which is astrology and my libido, as well as my acting and all the other things to gain capital, literally to survive. I don't, I'm, I'm an Aquarius. I don't want capitalism. I don't want capital. I don't want to capital. The fact that astrology has been capitalized through YouTube and Instagram makes me sick because to me, it's a religion. It's sacred. And I'm like, God, we're using it to make money, but we all have, and there's no judgment on the folks that are doing it because no. we all have to survive. Yeah. But the issue underlying all of this is capital. And I'm like, that's interesting. You know, what's interesting about that is that um, capitalism and both capitalism and patriarchy want you to feel demoralized and ashamed for monetizing the two things you're good at. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I res let's resist that. Yes. Let's let's work against that. Yes. Yes. And I and I think part of what you're saying when you're saying I was thinking of a we, a capital we, is. I mean, I, then the first thing I thought of was like, that sounds like communism. At least it sounds like something that's not capitalist. And I wonder if... There are other options. There are other options. And we, you know, I'm reading, I just am finishing Mark Fisher's book, Post-Capitalist Desire, but he's literally trying to reach through the fold of like what happens through capitalism, what happens on the other side. Is there another side? There's a great quote from his book, Capitalist Realism, which is, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism. It's true. But I think we have to begin to imagine it. hundred percent. We need solutions. There are solutions. I think there are creative solutions, but we, we don't have them yet, but we need to. But um, there are giant forces working against us, teasing out these solutions, and, but we will find them. And one of my thoughts, it's a nugget that I'm going to drop, but we don't have to go down the rabbit hole. But I think sex hole. work is one of those yes. resistances That's to capitalism. Because exactly. I was going to say, this is what you literally just were mind reading at this point, because I was just going to say, the thing that, the nugget that I wanted to drop was that I'm like, sex work, when I was practicing it even, even though I was getting money for it, right? It still felt anti-capitalist in a weird way. It is. And Let's it felt like I was it. perverting, like I felt like I was, because I'm a trans body, right? Right. I felt like I was queering every man I interacted you with. You are, because capitalism and patriarchy under capitalism, which cleaves all of us, th it's the air that we breathe, so no one is immune. Right. It wants me to believe that it's morally reprehensible to charge for access to my body because patriarchy and capitalism want access to my body for free, and they want right. to be able to exploit it freely with no checks and balances in place. So to resist against that is queering of capitalism. Mm. And it's also, um, I mean, queering in the, in the, in the best sense. Like it's, yes. it's homoeroticizing um, the fact that we are performing gender yes. for heterosexual men mm -hmm. towards their desires or whoever's desires in the room. I'm not saying that I haven't had female clients. I have. Sure. But in general, kind of um, the fact that we are charging for access to our bodies is queering capitalism. Yeah. And I and think that even beholding sex our work bodies. is queer. Yeah, sex work is queer. And it's autonomous. Yes. But the problem is when you have strip clubs that uh, and places of work that exploit that, dehumanize it, take it away from you, steal your tips, yep. charge you to be there. These are the, pretend like you're renting a space. You're not renting a space. Mm. That's not your landlord. <laughs> that's your, <laughs> that's a strip club operator. That's, you're not renting that room. Yeah, it's all a lie. Yeah, but they want you to feel like um, you deserve to pay to work. Right, and it's that's what we're working against with Strippers United. Yes. That's what we're working against with unionizing strip clubs, with having these conversations. 
with a, there's a, it's a really exciting moment for labor right now. I've been yes. waiting for this for 27 years. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more. What is really exciting for labor? Like, what is happening on the ground right now? So much. I mean, people, the great resignation is this huge thing that's happening, right? Sure. I mean, people are walking out. People want more. Um, people want safety at work. They mm. want, um, they don't believe, uh, more people, less people are believing the lie that gig economy means freedom. It doesn't. It's the opposite. Mm. Freedom from what? From safety. Right. From um, It's freedom. They want job precarity to be the rule of the land, and it has become that. Mm. Um, there was one time in L.A. where I had six jobs. Six. I counted them. Wow. Mm-hmm. No one should have to live like that. Yeah. Um, and people have it way worse than I do, as I've said before. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. The gig economy is a lie. Mm. Um, every billionaire... Um, who is hoarding money, who is actually ruining our lives, yeah. is a white cis man. Yeah. I'm sorry, it is true. Yeah, Peter Thiel, I'm immediately, immediately thinking of him. Yeah, And Zuckerberg, they are Aldrin. trying to find ways to skin us, to skin us of our livelihood and our dignity. Mm. And we have to fight back in the way that we have right now. Um, the way to push for worker power is to collectively organize yeah. against They've started them. doing this, like Chipotle. There's yeah, been, they there's walk been out. some amazing moments. Starbucks. Starbucks. Huge. Amazon, the Amazon labor union is really unique. There's not enough labor unions, so we've been trying to, you know, AB5 passed, as we talked about. I don't want to, like, overly focus on a silly one tiny section of a labor code, but what it did do for us is... Can you say really quickly what AB5 is for our listeners, just really briefly? So um, uh, it's just uh, this little piece of a labor code. Like, if you think of, like, labor law in California, it's just, like, this one little piece, and what it is is it's like, hey, check it out. There's this ABC test, and what this test is, is sort of like, when you go into work, are these things true? Whose work are you doing? Do they have any control over when you show up? How about when you leave? It's How about audit. what you wear? Right. Kind of. It's just this three-pronged test. That's all. It's just this part of a labor code, which makes it harder to misclassify workers. <sighs> so employers have every reason to want to misclassify you and call you an independent contractor. So they don't have to pay you. Shit. They don't have to pay you. They don't have to pretend you exist. Mm. They pretend you don't exist. You never existed. They never hired you. They no payroll taxes. No federal taxes. No state taxes. No workman's comp. No um, EDD unemployment mm-hmm. benefits. Um, you anyone who lives in California since 2014, you have paid sick sick leave. You know that? No, I did not know. Guess that. what? You're, they're mean, not going to tell you oh either. But you do. Wow. Not only do you have sick leave, if Zachary was sick. You could take Zachary to the doctor and get that paid as well. Since wow. 2014. And no one knows that. No. Nope. Nobody knows that. So there are all of these. We, we're, it's pretty good in California. We have some pretty solid laws. So one teeny piece of our labor code is AB5. Well, it passed, and it had to do with drivers. It wasn't about strippers. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about Strippers United. It wasn't about um, anyone other than Lorena Gonzalez authored this bill, Councilwoman Lorena Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. For drivers in yeah. mind. Because Uber, I'm assuming Uber and Lyft drivers. Uber and Lyft drivers yeah. and long distance drivers like t- um, um, who were treated as, they were trying to get them to be gig drivers so yeah. that they could just be replaceable and... Yep. Um, human being, human bodies just being expendable. Yes. 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 It's all, it's all, capitalism is all about how disposable can we make the worker. And we've been operating and we've been normalizing that for a really long time. So when we're talking about things like unprocessable rage and unmetabolizable suffering, I'm talking about this. The dehumanization of capitalism and the workforce and what it actually looks like on the shop floor. And I have horror stories. 
you can read my book. <laughs> Spent, yes. Yes, and other sex worker memoirs of, and just like what strippers are talking about right now. Um, the North Hollywood stripper strike at Star Garden, which we call Star Garbage. Um, they, <laughs> they filed over 31 OSHA complaints. Wow. They filed unfair labor practices. They um, are being extract. they're being um, charged to work. Um, mm. The laws about safety are disgusting. Yeah, it's um, they just changed the law right before the the dancers walked out of Star Garden. Um, the owners, Steve and Jenny, um, told um, the dancers that oh you can't you can't talk to the security guards anymore. Just come to us, and they're never there by the way. Oh, yeah. Just come to us, and we will talk to the customer. There's all this like incredible enabling of sexual assault, enabling wow. of violent assault. Protecting men from their. It's yeah. protecting men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So these are things that are um, happening on the shop floor. Yeah. Um, and so the Star Garden strippers were like, no. We're not doing this. Here is our petition. We just want you to sign it. And they had every belief, because they're not a cynical <laughs> person like me. And I was like, yeah, and they're not going to acknowledge that petition. They're like, oh no, it's gonna be great. They're totally gonna talk to us. They're totally gonna look at this petition. They're gonna be down for a really productive conversation. Of course, they didn't. They're the work uh, employers are so mortified of workers rising up and getting power. Right. They'll do anything to avoid it. Yep. Anything. I mean, they're terrified. This is late capitalism. They're terrified of the one thing that can. And they'll shut down the union yeah. shops. Yep. And they've been doing it. They did it with um, Tartine. They did it with um, a coffee shop that I can't remember right now. Mm. But they just closed the union shop. But that's fine because we have strategies around that too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what's going on um, with eighty-five. Like it passed, and then what it meant for strippers specifically. Sorry, it took me. This is a very sh shaggy dog. <laughs> it took me a long time to make my way back to eighty-five. Love it. So what eighty-five gave us was um, that the unquestionably strippers are employees. Unquestionably, we can unionize. That's all. Mm. We're not independent contractors. Right now, under California law and the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Code, independent contractors cannot unionize. Wow. Only employees can unionize. That's all. We could unionize before. Yeah. But AB5 passed, and like unquestionably, we don't have to go through that, over, jump over that That's mountain. Right. And say, oh, are they employees? Can they unionize? Yes, of course we can. Yes. Dynamics ruling passed in the California Supreme Court. AB5 passed. We are unquestionably employees. That's all. People think that it's like this magic pill and it's going to give us all these rights. That's not how it works. Yeah. You Workers have to rise up and collectivize and band together, fight for anti-discrimination policies that have teeth, fight for what they want in the strip clubs, fight for safety. They have to get together, write down their priorities, and fucking fight. Yes. And it takes a lot of courage. Yes. It takes a lot of courage, and it's really hard. And I know that you are like in the midst and throngs of a PhD, but I also know that in the last couple months you are also protesting. Like protesting is happening right now, right? In Los Angeles. Can you talk a little bit more about what protesting is happening, who's involved? Chris Smalls just came to the picket line from the Amazon Labor Union. Amazing. He supports the North Hollywood stripper strike. And Wonderful. you can find them online. You can go to Strippers United, which is soldiers underscore of underscore poll underscore. And follow us and follow... Could We just became a 501c3. Nice. Soldiers year. of Pole is a 501c3. Amazing. We're actually Strippers United now, but okay. our Instagram is Soldiers of Pole still. Okay. We didn't change the Instagram handle just to not confuse people. Yeah. 
because um, we have over 30,000 followers. Strippers United. I think I just saw some um, amazing digital art or posters that you guys were have been posting. There's some digital That's art. There's just so cool. many so many great people are coming out and supporting the, the stripper union. They've been waiting for us. They've been waiting for us yeah. to unionize for a very long time. Wow. Everyone, like wow. so many people, DSA, um, the Teachers Union, the Lawyers Guild, the Unite Here, um, the Teamsters. Yeah. There's a ton of people. We have a ton of support. IATSE supports us. Wow. Unite okay. Local 11 supports us. Like wow. we have so much support. So this is week 20 or 21. It's hard to keep track. Every week we're on the picket. Yeah. Wow. We're on the picket line. Whereabouts in Los Angeles is this picketing happening? I'm it's at Star Hollywood. Garden at yeah. on Lancashire okay. Boulevard. Oh, wow. I was just there yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so you're welcome to come. There are signs. You can just come and hang out. You can just drop off a pizza and say hi. That's amazing. And just honk your horn. Get cool. out for 15 minutes and just like say, hey, what's up? We love you. We support you. So. Oh, my God. Yes. It's pretty exciting. Yes. I hope that they get everything they want. Yeah. And, um, and I hope that they push for all of the things that will make the work just make stripping fun again yes. and make it lucrative and fruitful and because it was really great. I've been stripping for a very long time. Yeah. Speaking of a very long time, I want to roll back. Let's I wanna, roll it back. I want to roll it back Let's do it. so that people can get to know Antonia Crane a it. little bit better. Let's do it. I like to throw in like a ringer question or a question kind of off, off base, which is like, tell us about your childhood. Oh, damn. Really? We're going there. I we love can, it. We can go there and you can I be as it. like abstract vague you could lie to me i don't even oh my know God, just I like, would tell never. me <laughs> i would never <laughs> you're born on a sagittarius new moon and i don't think you would <laughs> was it a new moon you were born on a new moon in sag it's a truth why? teller truth seeker and a truth teller that's funny because um you know i have been to a lot of psychics marvel mm. i've been to kate winslet's psychic oh, kate winslet's psychic She's super hot. i just <sighs> feel like oh god i've been in the same psychic space as kate winslet so hot so yeah i was um i'm from humboldt which is Literally the most beautiful place in the world. And I lived there for six years. I we have that in common. We have I that love in common. that we have that in common. Mm -hmm. So, it is the most beautiful place in the world. I yeah. say that on authority. I've lived in <laughs> other countries. I've traveled this damn big world, and I've seen all kinds of girls. Yes. Um, it's gorgeous. It's where the redwoods meet the sea. It's you can throw a rock and hit Oregon. It is gorgeous. Um, I grew up in a small town. Yeah. Um, the population only goes down in Humboldt. There's a lot of poverty, a lot of rickety-ass Victorians, not like the fancy ones in San Francisco. I, I lived in them. I lived in a rickety-ass Victorian. I love in them, Humboldt. Though. I yeah. love them. Oh, my gosh. It was so haunted, too. It was so, so charged. Haunted. The one thing yeah. that they call, they call it the Redwood Curtain when you get past a certain part of the Piercy. 101. It's Piercy. Piercy. The Redwood Curtain. And I really, they told me before I went there. They it's were, spooky. They said they were like, you're going to go back in time to the 60s, and it'll feel kind of stuck there. Yeah, And when does. I go there, I'm like, Time has slowed down up here. It's the real hippies from the 60s who live in trees and stuff. A lot of Vietnam vets, a lot of Mormons, a lot of real 60s hippies, a lot of real Vietnam vets. Yes. They're, they are in the 60s. They know some shit. Yeah. They know some shit. And it is gorgeous. Yes. Um, it's also boring. Mm -hmm. So I grew up Culturally in the Culturally devoid. Yeah. I grew up in the 80s. Weird time, but great also. Yeah. Um, what to say? Um, my mother is dead. She died of cancer. Um, she was a wonderful and impressive woman, mm -hmm. very intimidating human being, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Public speaker, really smart, straight A student, um, award winning, like speech giver, like that mm -hmm. type of person, rode ho loved horses. She was good at everything. It was so annoying. 
She was like so great at everything that it's annoying. And she was like kind of a hard ass, mm, honestly. Okay. Um, held you to Gemini. a high standard. Held you to a high standard. Yes, I think she held me to a very high standard um, because, you know, our par- my parents were the type of parents that had one job their whole lives. Mm. My father is still I- a lawyer. He was a lawyer from the 60s, still is. My mother was a paralegal for 37 years. Wow. So I come wow. from a law family. Wow. Okay. My brother grew weed my whole life. I was never super into weed, but it was yeah. always around. Oh, yeah. It is all around and humble. I worked on farms up there, so I totally know. You know. It's just yeah. in your closet. It's I call it dreadnecks. I call them that class of people dreadnecks. Dreadnecks. Yeah, totally. It makes total sense. So there's yeah. a lot of, like, progressive rednecks. Yeah. Yep. Does they that s- make sense? They're progressive <laughs> rednecks, but then there's, like, the slippages where they are, like, a little bit kind of qanon in the sense that they way can Way qanon Way qanon They can be, like, conservative in very random sporadic places where they're like, and I'm really homophobic, but I'm totally fine with this. And you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> that is so true. Right, right. They're like, totally yeah. transphobic, yeah. whorephobic, yeah. and yes. pretty homophobic, but yeah. they think of themselves as progressives. Woke. They think of themselves as woke, totally. And think of, I don't know if they would even use the word woke, but... Yeah. And they are like, you know, veterans for peace. So they are totally. a radical in yeah. their own way. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of that. It's very quiet. Um, it's very, there's no darkness like the darkness of Humboldt. Right. It's the shadows of the redwoods yeah. and the wisdom and the quiet. There's no quiet like Humboldt County. Yes. It rains 367 days a year. I loved it. I loved growing up there. I loved growing up in the 80s. Yeah. All the bands I liked were guys with perms who wore, like, garters, Twisted Sister, and Quiet Riot. And yes. The first man I ever loved was Bowie. Oh, what a good first man to love. Yeah. Homo superior. He's of Tons. a different species entirely. Yeah. I loved an alien. <laughs> I mean, I was just in love with an alien. And yes. He is, certainly. Yeah, and my brother was eight and a half years older, so it's basically a totally different generation. Mm. And I grew up in a big house with a redwood forest from my backyard. Wow, beautiful. I roller skated my ass off. I went to cheerleading camp. I was a cheerleader. I was a homecoming queen candidate. I was an exchange student. I did everything. I was like, I've always been an adventurer. Yes. I lived in India. I speak a little Hindi. Wow. Um, Yeah, the one other exchange student that survived the year was 1987. 1986, 1987 was um, on Pan Am Flight 73, mm-hmm. the one that was hijacked. Wow. And um, 35 people died. Wow. But it dropped my friend Tim Iverson off first. And so he and I were the first, were the only two exchange students from America to survive that year. Wow. There are, were no computers or anything remotely American anywhere. I hung out with Harry Krishna's. I rode a camel cart to the Taj Mahal by myself. I lived with six families. I ran away all the time. I don't know why I didn't get sent home. <laughs> don't send your daughter abroad. Just don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. Amazing. That's my. That's I'm also my advice. thinking like, don't send your child abroad in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s where there's no digital technology whatsoever. Dude, like the level of like incredible neglect. Like, just the like. <laughs> Just, my, our parents were dating in their 40s. Fo- they were getting divorces, uh-huh. dating in their 40s, yep. hanging out in hot tubs, yep. getting wasted, smoking pot. A lot of them still doing cocaine doing in, the, in coke, the 80s. Oh, smoking, yeah. and it's like I would leave in the morning, come home at night, go to a foreign country for a year, and just like... Come back and be like, hey, so crazy things happened. Hey, oh, so great. yeah, I'm bald now, and like don't speak to me. <laughs> Sinead O'Connor, <laughs> exactly. as we talked about in the pre-talk exactly. show. So yeah, I grew up in Humboldt, and then I got into Mills College, Went to Mills College, studied post-structural feminist theory. Yes. And 
stalked Kathy Acker at the oh, Art Institute. So hot. I think about her all the time. And hung out with punks, was in a band for eight years. I did, and then I became a stripper. Like, of course I became a stripper. You were in the in San Francisco in the 90s. Oh, yeah. 80s and 90s, yeah, Was yeah. I ever. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, I mean, my God. I, I'm so nostalgic for a time where I wasn't, I wasn't even quite born yet, and I wish that I could have been in San Francisco in the 90s, because I think of just, like, all the young trans masculine guys, Jed's stories, Silas Howard, Harry Dodge, just, yes. like, this utopia before transness got, like, commodified. Yeah. Interesting. I want to talk about that. Yeah. So I know I I listened to your podcast with Jen about about activism and and transness and queerness in the 90s and you know there were a lot of great things going on but for me personally it wasn't utopia mm-hmm. um, but it was great in a yeah. lot of ways um, I think being a stripper in 1992 was fantastic it did feel like feminist performance art and it was yeah. And we were on drugs. I was on a lot of drugs. Mm. And that's sad. It's yeah. sad to be on drugs. It's not. It's fun for a little while, and then it's not. Yep. And then it's just, like, hard and sad because I just sabotaged my life. Yeah. As one does when one is doing, like, a ton, mountains of methamphetamine and yep. Xanax and drinking all the time. And I just would leave things in apartments like and just leave my car towed and never return for it right. things like that yeah yeah so it was not like all fantastic i must yeah. say but um i appreciate the reality of it like i appreciate it was dark. P- painting the reality for people to be like and it wasn't just like an amazing carnival it right. was like and there was the scary clown car crash it was, show it yeah. was a little bit yeah. scary yeah. um but there were beautiful moments and i like to the, the points of affinity and queerness like yeah I remember these incredible moments with like Michelle T and Cindy Anderson and Lynn Breedlove and um, and and Bomb and Cooper Lee Bombardier of mm. like one Thanksgiving, one familyless Thanksgiving, queer walking the streets of San Francisco, walking the projects one Thanksgiving. I'm newly sober and you know I just hated myself mm. and we were just talking about it. it was just like I just hate my sober body and just like I hate how I feel and. Uh, and just like life is hard and like we were just, everyone just had their own kind of private sadnesses and we were just sort of talking and telling our stories. And then this car pulls over and it's an African-American family and a bunch of kids, at least three kids, kids in car seats, a big car. And it's the projects and yeah. it's Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. And without even speaking, we helped them open the door. We carried their kids and their bags of groceries silently. I don't remember any words being exchanged at all. I just remember eye contact and just like, hey, hey, just like, and helping, carrying children, carrying someone else's kid and groceries up these stairs of the projects and putting their kids to bed with them and helping them do that. Wow. And then leaving and just going back to our talk. Wow. That is, I have chills. I'm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine that happening today, and I'm just like, I can't quite imagine that happening today. I don't know why they let us do that, but we just were like walking along the street, and then pretty soon we were holding doors open, carrying bags of groceries, and children, sleeping children, yeah, putting them in bed. Oh, that's beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. It feels very Halo Rossetti, and I were talking last week about, actually just yesterday, but it's for last week's episode, about... Starhawk and the idea of the we when you use the capital we and Starhawk who is a Bay Area person just writing about like what does collectivity look like what does it look like to be like 
intimately and profoundly in community with people, even if it is just as simple as like doing a, a, a task like that or doing something where you're doing something very mundane. Yeah. And we've lost, we've lost, I mean, that's part of, I think, the depression, the mass, like, collective depression right now is just feeling so dislocated from each other. Yes. And I think that is when people get very unforgiving mm-hmm. and very critical. Yeah. And where they're standing behind the screen, dragging people, canceling people, and being very unforgiving and very critical. They want to connect. They, I know. That's what humans want to do. We want to connect. And I, I think know it's this. that connection that needs to happen more. Yes. We need to be in person more. Yes. Oh yeah, and we need radically. to listen to each other. Radically. Yeah, instead of just standing on the outskirts and critiquing. Yes. Like. Yes. How can we connect? What is a way to do that? Is astrology a way to connect? One other nugget that came up that I'm glad you're circling back to astrology is that I was like, I wonder, in the same way that we were talking about sex work as anti-capitalist, I was like, there are times where I play and toy with the idea of astrology being potentially anti-capitalist or having some sort of classification or ontological ramifications that are anti-capitalist in the sense that instead of deriving your definition from a man or from other power structures, you're sort of deriving, you're picking and choosing what you resonate with within another system. You could argue that for kind of any religion, but, but I find, I wonder if astrology is patriarchal because there isn't a god there isn't like a, a male God and there isn't a Jesus. So I, I wonder if there's ideas around that, and I haven't fully teased it out, that could be anti-capitalist or could at least remove some of the power that we signify or we take from the signification of, of ma- capital, man, mm-hmm. uh, patriarchy, racism. I wonder. I, I wonder. have an idea. Yeah. Let's try on a hat together. Sure. Yeah. As a way, because I, you know, I told you before, like the reason why I'm interested in applying a feminist intersectional feminist critique to astrology is to create change. Yeah. So I think that one way one could try in astrology as being the reader mm-hmm. or whatever that position is, yeah. authority Which astrologer. Is an authority. Yeah, totally. It's an author- authoritative position. Is um, to ask oneself like, how can I work against the systemic powerlessness? that people feel and the unknowable rage and the that comes from feeling powerless yeah. and the unmetabolizable suffering and empower the person in front of me. Yes. There is an interesting interplay of co-creating your reality with the with the map. So you have the map, you have some sort of like rough outline sketches. Here are some tools. Here are some tools. And the thing that I, when I tell people that, I think it's helpful them, for them because I say, look, I'm going to tell you stuff, but I, you are not stuck in anything I tell you. Anything I tell you is for you to take, use in a way that feels like it's liberating and expanding your experience. And you can work through anything that's challenging in your chart. So sometimes I look at someone's chart and I'm like, ooh, you have a really hard time vocalizing your needs. And they'll be like, yeah, I do. Like my, my throat feels shut down. And I'll say, okay, here's some things that I think could help you open your your mouth mm-hmm. and your voice and also you are not bound by the transit or the aspect that I'm seeing in the chart that's making your throat mm-hmm. shut down. Another thing is I've, I've learned um, with my anti-racism learning that is ongoing is forming things in a question. Yes. Like do you have a hard time vocalizing your needs? Yes. If so, here are some things that I recommend. Yes. Like ask them instead of like I'm instead telling you to be empowered. Yes. Now here, hey, do you have a hard time what is the 
So I'm going to ask you, Marvel. Yeah. What is one thing in your chart that frightens you? Ooh. I have what's called an eighth house stellium, and you actually also have a lot of eighth house activation, which the eighth house is the house ruled by Scorpio, but it rules a few things. You're going to laugh when I tell you what it rules. It rules sex, death, rebirth, feces, throw up, vomit, sex work, dominatrixes, um, anything that goes bump in the night, the like mm. unprocessed trauma is the eighth nice. house, right? Sounds like my kind of party. A lot of sex work hap- A lot of sex workers. I look at their charts. They almost always have eighth house strong eighth house activations. I have. Yeah, you do. You have Jupiter and Venus and Scorpio in your eighth house. Unbelievable. I saw it and I laughed because I was like, "There she is. There she is." What does that mean? It's uh, both of them are benefics, which means positive. Both of them are very, very considered very happy planets. But when they're in the eighth, they find their happiness through the like gunk, and the like detritus and the d- taboo of life. They're not afraid. You have two planets that are completely unafraid of anything considered taboo or dark. It's not dark to you. You're like, bring it that's out. That's true. Bring it out into the light. See, that's true. Yeah. And you also find expansiveness. Jupiter rules publishing, expansion, higher education through eighth house topics. Sex work, taboo, sexuality, um, imprisonment, feeling uh, unprocessed rage, unmetabolizable rage falls under the eighth house. So I have my Mars, Venus, and my Saturn there, and they're all pretty much conjunct, which means I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna break it down for you tell really me, quickly. You. It basically means that I have break it down mathematically. I'm down. I have a well, Mars and Venus are the divine lovers when they're together, conjoined in a sign, which means they're in the same part of the sky together. There's usually a um, hermaphroditic quality or a um, simulta- simultaneity of masculine and feminine energies in somebody's body. Neon. Neon has oh, a Mars-Venus wow. conjunction in Gemini. To the degree, me too. So we both have Mars, Venus, and air signs. And air signs are very um, abstract, mysterious, aloof, sexy, like unfathomable. There's an unfathomability when Mars and enigma. Venus... An enigma. There's an enigmatic, ne- an enigmatic quality to anyone who has Mars and Venus conjoined in an air sign. Mm. So I relate to Neon a lot. I see her and I'm like, oh, I got you, girl. I know what it's like. And we don't identify strictly as male or female precisely because our Mars and our Venus are sitting on top of each other. They're having mm. sex. We literally are wow. embodying this like completely multivalent se- sense of self. It's, it's constant. It's constant phallic, vaginal, phallic, opening. Like it's all, nice. it's all there. But wow. Saturn's there in my eighth house and he's creating a certain level of seriousness, fear. Mm. And so the part of my chart that you asked, like what's the part that you feel most challenged or scared by is the eighth house because when you have a lot of activation there, it means that you are here to process a ton of unmetabolizable rage. So the thing oh, that it's about rage, it's about rage, rage and trauma. The eighth house is unprocessed trauma. And I've seen recently on my 30th birthday, I saw a, a witch in Mazunte, Mexico, uh, who is she does craniosacral therapy and I never look for these. I'm not the person. I mean, maybe it's because I'm kind of a man, but I, I, I don't go to a tarot person or an astrologer when a something crisis happens in my life. I'm always like, I'll figure that out myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's me. It's me. It's me. Right. I'm just like, it's like, I'm going to figure Trans it out. Mask, yeah. And I got this. I got this. I'll figure it out. But my friend was like, you need to go see this woman. And I hmm. went and saw her and she did this process with me and a giant black snake, like, obsidian snake crawled out of my throat and out of my mouth and she said what do you mean that for real for not for real it was it i wasn't under any drugs or influence i was completely sober but it was it was i don't know how to explain it it was like a somatic induced hallucination 
and and I was completely sober. And she was just working the hell out of me. And she's an amazing an a body ama- worker. Body worker. She's oh, an amazing. I mean, she's very powerful. She's a witch. She's very very powerful. And she said to me, like when it came out, she was like, "This is this is like profoundly deep, and it's not really all yours. But there's just a ton of rage and anger here." What are you supposed to do with that? And that's part, I mean, you asked me the part of my chart that's the scariest. I think that's it. I think that the way I will process it, truly, this is a a very funny answer, but I think acting. I agree. And to that note, I discovered you. (laughs) Yes, it's, (laughs) yes. What an amazing segue. An amazing. So Marvel's an amazing actor. Thank you. And I was working on some writing with Zachary Drucker, who is a goddess and one of my sweetest and closest friends. Um, and we were working on a project together, and here comes Marvel bouncing around in some like crazy little, like tiny little terry cloth shorts with stripes at the side, and just like Bleh! just being so puppy energy. Oh yeah, and Labrador so cute. Retriever. Yep. Oh my god, Labrador. so adorable. Lab t- retriever mix. Yeah. With a tight, tight T-shirt oh, on, yeah. and just like, what is this? And my partner Jed wrote and directed and was doing his student thesis film and was beautiful and you know it was a this beautiful trans twilight zone episode that he was ready to cast and I I just saw you and I'm like you 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 need to act. do you act and then I had to ask Zachary because I was like is it okay yeah. Does is it he okay act? if I a- ask Marvel to to be in Jed's um film and yeah. you're fantastic. You're such a great actor. You're Thank such you. a great actor. Thank you. You it, have it. It's that ape house rage, though. You Interestingly, have it. it's that depth. Yeah, that's part of it. I want to say something that I think you might relate to, in regards to like performativity and sex work, because I think that part of what makes an amazing, I think acting and sex work have some things in common, For where sure. it's like you are you are literally performing. You know you're performing. You're going in and you're getting paid to perform, Definitely. right? And you're trying to please somebody. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the director, and for you, it would be the client. But there is this element of like you have to be so goddamn open, and uh, you have to mirror them and chameleon for them and be hyper hyper present in a way that often the client never gets to. And mm-hmm. and I, I can't speak for directors, but sometimes directors don't get that present either. It, it is a certain level of what I call like it's magic. I'm it's like, sexual intelligence. Yes. My therapist calls it erotic intelligence. Erotic intelligence. That's what I feel like my acting is. Where it's we erotic. walk yeah. in and um, know what they want, or yeah. they communicate it, which is also helpful. Yes, but totally helpful. not something you always get. Yeah. And tease it out of them and make them want it and then make them want more of it. And, you know, like Salvador Dali said, I don't do drugs. I am drugs. That's how I feel. You become the drug for yeah. them, which yeah. is not always great. You just want to make sure they have enough money to sustain <laughs> The exchange. If yeah. you're going to be habit forming, then you have to, you know, be generous. Yeah. And I'm I actually like I also don't feel like I'm performing something other than myself. Yes. Although I do have a performer name always. Yes. I I feel like I don't really veer far from who you are, who I really am. And yeah. I think that's just sort of like I'm just a fully assimilated human at this age. Yes. And I don't um I don't get get much out of separating from myself. Yeah. I'm more interested in being present. It's yes. probably just due to my recovery. Yeah where I don't really get a lot out of pretending. Um, And so I just, I really show up and like that is enough. I think you just hit on a point that's more accurate than what I just described, which I think one thing that makes an amazing actor who's not necessarily a character actor, but like a, what would be considered like a leading man or a, a, you know, someone who is, there are actors who play themselves in every role they're in. 
And I think what you just spoke to is more similarly to, towards my lane, where I'm like, the reason you and I can be hypnotic to people is not because we're trying to, we are definitely reading them, engaging them, but it's the act of deep presence that is actually so intoxicating. For sure. And that's what I know I have. I'm, I can be so deeply present with people. Yep. And I got it from my mother, I think. You know, when I think about my life, I'm like, my mother's profoundly present with people. And my brother is profoundly present with people. And we shock people by our deep level of presence. That's interesting. It also could be cultural. Spaniards tend to be much more present with each other in a very real way. That's interesting. Yeah. You don't tune out and space out and just sort of try to escape. And you're, you're not avoidant. Part of culture, part of Spanish culture specifically, is when you are walking through the street of your town, and, and now late capitalism has made this very troubled and very difficult because cities in Spain are now overpopulated. They're just different. It's just different. It's a lot more like, you know, my mother's hometown feels a lot more like New York City all of a sudden, which is really What's wild. What's her town? Uh, it's called Sabadell, which is like uh, a, and a little bit of a metro outside of Barcelona, Spain. Gotcha. It's a short metro ride. But you know, it used to be kind of a town-ish. And you would walk through that town and you would say hi to every single person you saw. And oftentimes, because it's Spanish time, it's different than like any kind of capitalist, hyper-capitalist um, hyper American time. If you saw somebody that you really liked or saw somebody that you hadn't seen in a minute, you would stop and talk to them for an hour. Yeah. You would literally, I mean, one of the most... It feels like the South. The South feels like that. Yes. New Orleans feels like yes. that. Digame, like tell me, tell me, tell me. That's the word. It's like tell me how mm. you feel. I love tell that. me, and then you know, often it's very, it's very typical to see somebody, you know, take somebody's hand and be like, let's go sit down at a cafe. But it was spontaneous. So there's this level That's of beautiful. there's this level of connectivity that has really attributed to Greece and Spain and Italy and Portugal being so profoundly poor, quote unquote, mm -hmm. as countries in the EU, mm -hmm. because they're like, look, this our culture is not fundamentally capitalist our, our culture yeah. is actually like people and food oriented totally i mean i have, I have a friend Annalie, who's a lebanese and she talks about that too she's like i'm great at saving because i do not come from capitalist culture yeah i don't do that i don't do netflix i don't do amazon yeah she I doesn't need to money. consume she doesn't need to consume she exactly. gets, she gets you know where she gets fed from conversations and from art. food and art, art. and from art, being with people food and being with people yes. yeah enjoying life together yes um, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. I think we should segue due to time. I think yeah. we should segue to the pandemic peep show. I do too. And, and I want to talk about Chris Belcher. Let's do it. Let's talk um, about the pandemic peep show and Chris Belcher. Okay. So, um, the pandemic peep show is my book that's coming out that, um, during the pandemic I couldn't write, but I could take pictures. Okay. And, um, I'm not a photographer. Mm -hmm. I did take photography classes like two different times in LA, dark room style, like when it was $11 a unit <laughs> to go to LACC. Wow. And I was like um, between jobs or just like without a job, I was just like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to take a photography class this summer. Yes. And um, so I, I couldn't write during the pandemic, but I could take pictures. And then what happened was the strip clubs shut down, but all of the stripping went online. Mm. And so what happened was strippers became producers and writers and directors and making their own stages and had all these online strip shows. And so this is an archival project of just capturing a time that happened that I think is really important to record. Um, and I went into the spaces of these different producers and performers, like Coco Ono is one of my favorite performers, and I was able to be in her space with her. Love Coco. Um, and she has Sacred Wounds, which is a really incredible, um, a really incredible show for yeah. um, Asian Pacific Island sex workers and they really showed up and I think that their other producer is um, also a trans mask person 
Mm -hmm. um, and they, so I, for instance, I got to go be in her performance space with her and photograph her in her own place and kind of take photos of her pre-work rituals and her space. And I, and Nat's Honey, who's one of my favorite pole dancers and mm -hmm. was um, an incredible pole performer and stripper and mom and board member of Strippers United and just a powerhouse and just a radiant human being and friend. Yes. Um, she's huge in the cannabis world and mm. so I got to like photograph her doing her cannabis rituals. Amazing. Um, and I and the word that um, comes to mind is trust. Mm. Like I was able to like really be in their worlds with them and just document. Yeah, not in document and just yeah. So that's what the Pandemic Peep Show is. It's just an archival documented book with reviews and essays and um, flyers. And, um, you know, Ms. Neon is on the cover. And, you yes. know, she's an incredible performer. And she's she's trans and she's um, a star. She's just a fucking star. Yes. And I would have an entire show of just the photos of Ms. Neon if I could. You can't. You certainly can. Hey, it's not over yet. So it's a fundraiser for the Trans Defense Fund LA and Strippers United. Um, the first 200 copies of it. And it can be found at AntoniaCrane.com. Okay. I will link that in the show notes. Thank you. Sure. Um, and it's $69. Ah, oh, $69. Um, it, it is. And <laughs> half of it is going to Trans Defense Fund LA and half of it is going to Strippers United. Um, the first 200 copies. Um, and I also just wanted to plug... My friend, um, Chris Belcher, also known as Natalie West, just wrote a gorgeous memoir, okay. and she reads it herself on Audible, and it's called Pretty Baby. Okay. And I just finished it, and I just wanted to share it because it's a queer sex worker memoir, and it is beautifully written, and it made me cry, and it's wow. really gorgeous, and so I just wanted to make sure that um, you had a beach read by yes. the time we <laughs> finished talking because it's so fun to be smart with you, Marvel. Yes. You're such a love machine. Thank you. I lead with the heart. That's You're the so point. smart. Thank You're you. so fun to talk to. Thank you. I feel the same way. I feel honored to have you here in the studio. This is a huge moment. But now I want you to tell me something about my chart. Yes. Well, I will. Let's do it. Let's do a little quick read. Let's do okay. a quick read on Antonia. So you, I actually have your chart. You I, do? I oh screenshotted it. Oh, I did. Oh, of course. I'm you know, so for flattered. me, for me, it's like Pokemon cards. Like I'm not I joking. Love it. I, I, so I collect cute. people, and I'm like, this is so exciting. But I try to be, you know, especially after our conversation, I try to be like, and they're also a multidimensional human, and they are not limited to the chart information that I now Thank have about you. them. Yes, you will always prove me wrong um, <laughs> about whatever uh, conclusions I'm running to. You are a Pisces rising, and I you am. were born on a Sagittarius new moon. True story. So this is all very true story. It's very sexy. It's very sexy, and I will say, you know, you your full this new moon that you were born on falls at what's called the top of your chart. Okay, mm. when I, when you when your sun and moon are at the top of your chart, you are literally here to be in the public eye. Interesting. So you can't really hide, and you're not good God at hiding in a room. So when you walk into a room, people will notice you because your sun and your moon are at the top of your chart. You literally cannot hide in a room. Hmm. You can't be, you know, people, I mean, you could, you know, you could wear like, you could do the whole celebrity thing and cover and like be more, but it's hard. Your energy's loud. My energy is loud. I think I can't disagree with that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, your energy's loud. I love that you were born on a new moon in Sag. It really means that you're here to be a storyteller. Sagittarians are writers. They are literally the writers of the, of the Zodiac. They're here to publish. They're here to do media of any kind and usually they have like a hell-bent mission and they're they're the arrow right it's the archer i and have they, a hell-bent mission exactly and it's like no one gets in the way of that arrow nobody gets in the way of that arrow gotcha. and for you it's your sun and your moon so that's your quote-unquote your masculine or solar energy and your feminine internal energy is the same it's the same it says no i don't give a shit i'm going in that direction mm -hmm. 
So there isn't True quite a story. confusion about it. There no. is not, you're not confused about what you're doing in this, in this lifetime. I knew since I was nine years old that I wanted to be a writer. There you go. And here you are. And you're finished. I mean, you're in the middle of your USC Annenberg fellow, may I say. Like, you are being paid to be at USC to write. It's such a privilege. It's such an honor. You to be worked there. for it too, though. I True. mean, this is the beauty. I have of not it. had an easy time. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate so that's, that. So that's a little bit of a that's a little taste Great. of. Thank you. And I already talked about your eighth house sexiness, which is that Jupiter and, and that Jupiter and Venus and Scorpio is like being able. It's very seductive. It's very seductive. It's not afraid of the dark. It's not afraid of anything taboo. And it's True. actually interested in expanding the taboo. Expanding everything I the underlying notion of what I was feeling when you were talking about your life was I was like, wow, this person, whether they're even conscious of it or not, by existing, is literally functioning to help expand people's fears out into the open so they can no longer be fears. I like that. It I felt that I was like, you're making the taboo untaboo so that people people can just experience intimacy and sexuality in a way that's more playful. Yeah. And creative instead of like just so shut down and scared. To me, stripping is a celebration. It is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's I think art. astrology, you know, the symbols and the language are all really important mm. in how we view these things and talk about these things. Yeah. And I think that a certain amount of play and flourish poetry. and poetry is yeah. all like a really a beautiful part of being queer. And yeah. I think that it's a, an intrinsic part of interest in astrology yeah. as well just it's when you were talking about it it's, it's poetry it is and it's, it's encouragement and i've heard those things before mm. about myself mm. mm-hmm. so there's something to it yeah yeah there's, there's just a red thread. something to it there's a yeah. red thread and i think though you know we we posed a lot of questions today and i think that we teased at some answers but i also think beyond any sort of answer there is just a reality here where we cannot fully comprehend what's happening in this existential experience, and that's okay. Yeah. How and much unknowingness and how much mystery can you be comfortable with? Exactly. Oh, and that's true peace right there. And that continue to play and continue to be open and love anyway. Yes. And think collectively. Yes, even if you don't understand. And I don't think we can fully understand anything. And the moment we believe that we fully understand anything, we have made a misstep. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for this talk. This has been yes. a lot of fun. Thank you, Antonia. Is there anything else you need? I think we're good. Thank you for being on the awesome. World of Rex. Is there is there any way that... Oh, I guess the final thing I'll say is how can people reach you or learn more about you? Great. Um, AntoniaCrane.com. Okay. And I'm on Instagram as at Antonia Crane. Perfect. No spaces, no dashes. I'll, I'll link it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, follow Strippers United. Yes. Follow the NoHo Stripper Strike. Yes. Um, and, you know, challenge everything all the time. And, uh, I don't know, stay optimistic about the future because I think there's hope. Yes. We have to work towards hope. It's an active, it's a verb. Ver- I think it's a, a grind. Yeah. It's a daily grind it's to work towards grind. hope and yeah. connection. Yes. Radical connectivity. Yes. Yes, like we had here today. This yeah. has been so beautiful. Thank you. Being in a room with you, it not it's on a so Zoom fun. screen. Ooh, I love oh it so God. much. Isn't it great? Yeah, oh, you're, you're so like, beautiful. You can see me get all shiny and sweaty. Yeah, me too. Oh, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm, sweating. Like, I'm a sweaty. No sweaty. AC in this. Nope. But thank you for having me. It's so yeah. pretty in here. Yes, it's beautiful. 
Well, thank you, Antonia. Thank you to everyone listening here. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'll link myself in the show notes. And if you want to have lesbian phone sex, my phone number is 323. (laughs) 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 Yes. Really had a great time today. Thank you for having me. Yes. We will catch you next week on the World of Rex. I love each and every one of you always, always. We will talk to you soon. Oh, oh, oh.